tonight, we're going to look at Revelations 7. And um, you also need to know that I hope you had a nice supper or maybe took a nap. Because we're going to be applying all of the 10 keys when we look at the seven last plagues. We will be taking um, all of these principles that we have learned and we're going to be applying them. You, I will not be telling you when we're doing so, but you, if you've been paying attention, you will see when we are. So here's a visual representation of the major four sevens in the book of Revelation. You have the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven plagues. There's also seven blessings that run through the book of Revelation. But for the purpose of tonight's theme and focus, I want us to kind of see this progression that is significant. In the seven churches, we see God's counsel to make it to the end. Because, again, with the principle of recapitulation, by the time the seven churches finish, we're only in chapter, at the end of chapter three. And then by chapter six, we see imagery that is very much imagery of the second coming of Jesus. But that's Revelation chapter six. The book continues because it rewinds the DVD, so to speak, or the, the, the tape, uh, back to the beginning again to show us a different aspect of human history all the way down to the second coming of Jesus. So uh, when you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 has counsel for all of God's people all the way down through the end of the ages to the very last church right before Jesus comes. Then you have the seven seals. God sealed to make it to the end. We went through this already when we studied for two evenings as to what the seal of God is. It's the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart to write God's law in there. Um, followed by the seven trumpets. And these are the, the two that we will focus on this evening uh, in the two presentations. There are this, these seven trumpets and what they are is God's last call to make it to the end. So you guys, you guys, you have God's counsel, God's seal, and God's last call. And those are the seven trumpets. We will see that in just a little bit. I'm just giving you an overview. But then we will conclude with the seven plagues. And the seven, heaven's plague, the seven plagues are humanity's response to God's counsel, to God's offer of the seal, and to God's last call to receive salvation. So is God acting, God seeking, and then humanity responding. The seven last plagues, the, the focus there is um, how humanity responds at the very end of human history, how humanity will respond to God's call of mercy and compassion. The trumpets are God's call for every human being to accept repentance, forgiveness, and cleansing, a tender heart yielded to his word. The plagues, one thing is the trumpets, the other thing is, are the plagues. The plagues are God's final revealer of humanity's unrepented character, a hardened heart. We're going to look at this um, because, honestly, we are in an area in which the Christian Reformed Church has quite a, a foothold and quite a grip upon people's um, view of God. And to, I mean, their credit, uh, John Calvin, um, his idea of predestination of the human beings that are elect by God and those that are not the elect of God, he arrived at that in trying to highlight God's sovereignty, that God was powerful and that he rules and that he is the king of the universe. But some, sometimes as Christians, we have to wonder, what is it that, we, that attracts us to God more? And there are two components of God that we have to kind of grapple with as to what, why I worship him. 
What is the one element that I want to highlight? And whatever it is, it has to agree with what scripture highlights as this, the, the most prominent or more desirous to be revealed and understood by the universe. What God wants the universe to see about him. One of those is God's omnipotence. Some Christians, John Calvin included, wanted to highlight God's rulership and omnipotence. And so I want to affirm that. We ought to see and, and exalt God's power. But what I would contend is that the Bible, the gospel, doesn't want to emphasize God's power as much as it wants to emphasize God's love. You can emphasize both, but there has been a, a historical um, heritage in wanting to highlight so much of God's sovereignty that we go too far, like Eve. When he told the serpent, God said that we can eat it or touch it and began to add words to what God had said. And so do I, wanna, do I want to commend our Christian Reformed brothers and sisters and the other ones that hold to Orthodox teachings, Presbyterians and others, to, I want to invite them to reconsider what is it that we want to emphasize as Christians? Does God want us to follow him because he is powerful? Or does God want us to follow him because he is love? In the Exodus, we will see, and, and it's not in the slides, but when we look at the story of the Exodus this evening, we will see that God did not tell the Israelites, gather up all the lions that you can find in the wilderness and release them in Egypt. God told the Israelites, you need to sacrifice what kind of animal? A, a helpless, fragile, defenseless lamb. The, the act of God that finally released Israel from Egypt was the death of a lamb, which for me speaks of God's desire to manifest his love even more so than his power. And that, of course, gets highlighted even further with the incarnation in which God the Father sent his son as a helpless babe in a minor tribe in the the ghetto of Jerusalem in Nazareth in a neighborhood that no one would have wanted to lived in to poor parents. A helpless baby. What does, did God want to reveal to the universe about himself? Was it his power or his love? And you don't have to choose between either one, but when you see the, the scriptures, I believe that God's biggest burden was to reveal his character of love because that is what transforms the human heart. So, uh, I say all of that because ultimately the seven plagues focus on what our friends that belong to Orthodox teaching or adhere to Orthodox teaching, it may not make too much sense for them in that the seven last plagues highlights the freedom God has given humanity to choose. So let us, without further ado, I want to start diving right in. Um, these are the trumpets in Revelation that are found in Revelation chapter 8 through chapter 11, and we're not going to interpret or look or because it will be a dizzying experience. There's a lot in actually each plague to try to digest all of it. All I want us to focus is there's a distinction between the trumpets and the plagues in that the trumpets, everything that happens in the trumpet affects only a third of the planet, only a third of the planet, whereas when we get to the plagues, is a universal experience of calamities. To highlight this point, when God does a partial manifestation of his displeasure 
of the exploitation and abuses of humanity upon humanity, he always brings these reprimands of human behavior with a door of hope and mercy. He always leaves the door uh, open for humans to say, uh, I see that what I've done is wrong and I want to change my ways. And God says, I'm so glad to hear that. And so with the trumpets, it is God's final attempt to arouse human consciences, to arouse human uh, the, the, the mind of humanity to recognize, you know, what is our life about? If, it, if it's just about this experience on our planet, like Paul says, if in this life is all the time we have hope, we are to be pitied, pitied the most. If all we get is the 70, 80 years on this planet, and then we end the way that I described the evening that we talked about what happens when we die, in which our bodies decay, in, in which our bodies hurt, and, and the Ecclesiastes talks about you know, the eyes, the mouth, the teeth, the joints, everything begins to fail. Brethren, I'm not looking forward to that. My youth leader and I, as he was, his cancer was progressing, and I went to visit him when his uh, daughter said, um, Bob's been put in hospice. I dropped what I was doing, I asked the elders to help me cover some things, and I drove all the way to Pennsylvania to see, to see my youth leader, and as I held the frail shell of what Bob used to be, he told me, I want to praise God, Ariel, because I asked God for one thing and one thing only. I can endure my body going, but I did not want to lose my mind. I wanted to remember my daughters. I wanted to remember my grandkids. I wanted to remember my church family. And God has granted me my prayer. But when I saw Bob and the shell that we are, if this is all we get, man, oh man, what a waste. God has offered us something beyond what we have here. And so what we are seeing, and we will see, as we will see from the trumpets, with greater um, proximity and intensity, is things like what we're seeing in Palestine and Israel right now. Jesus spoke of these things. And the trumpets highlight that there will be some very poignant experiences in Earth's history not designed to punish, but designed to awaken humans out of the stupor in which we are gradually finding ourselves falling into. Jesus speaks about the, the right before Jesus comes as humans behaving in the most degrading, exploitative, abusive forms that has ever been witnessed in human history. And yet, Jesus says, People will be marrying and giving themselves in marrying and, and, marry and living life as if it's normal. And Jesus is highlighting the paradox of the human mind in which something shocks us, we are alarmed at it, but then we get used to it. After that shock, what used to be shocking now becomes normal. Have you noticed that in society lately? With the exposure that we have now through social media and the many other various channels of, of entertainment, etc., we are becoming a society that it takes a lot more to get us excited about something or to shock us, um, which means that there's a society that is growing number and number to evil. So God has to allow certain things that will shake, that will rattle our cage to arouse us to the reality there is more to our existence than what we presently experience. In that reality, that experience centers upon my relationship with God. 
So the trumpets follow that, uh, that desire. They actually come straight out of Leviticus 23 and, verse six, and, and chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 23 and Leviticus chapter 16. Will be touched on the night that we talked about the sanctuary. But we'll summarize it this way. The Feast of Trumpets were God's call to repentance and cleansing of sin for his people. As the day of final cleansing, the day of atonement was approaching, everyone was invited to receive God's grace before that day would end. Those who chose to not confess their sins by the end of that day were cut off from being God's people, but not out of God's desire or doing. It was people's choosing to say, I much rather cling to my sin than allow Jesus to cleanse me from it. And God would honor that choice. And that is a sobering reality that for, for the most part, Christianity, I think, struggles in re- letting go of some of the, the teachings that have been handed down from paganism when paganism entered into the Christian church. And I'm speaking specifically about the teaching of hell. I think our, a lot of our Christian friends are reluctant to let go of the, the false teaching of hell. The Bible speaks of it, but not in the way that mainstream Christianity teaches. And I think the reason that they're so reluctant to use it is because they feel like, then why, what else can we use to incentivize people to accept Jesus? What else can we use as a, as a deterrent of sin and to accept Christ if it's not an eternal burning hell? I think there's something better. It's called the cross. If the cross does not lead you to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord and nothing else will, even an eternal hell. And people that make decisions for God based on fear of being punished for eternity already in their minds have been implanted a picture of God that is not biblical. And to worship a God that is not found in scripture is to worship an idol, a man-made image of God. And all man-made images of God are idols that will fail us when we need them most. The issue behind the seven last plagues is different from the trumpets. The trumpets are God's last effort to shake humanity and saying, listen, time is running out. Look around you, the planet. You have gotten used to it, but you can't. It was not like it was before. It is incrementing. Things are going off into a scale exponentially, and you are calling it normal. Please arouse yourself from this stupor. When was the last time as a family you got together and prayed as a family? When was the last time my word was opened in your home and you called your children to you? What are you waiting for? This is um, a desperate act on God's behalf to allow certain disasters in a specific nature to take place to arouse humanity, but the the, the plagues are a different thing. The issue behind the seven last plagues is whether God is just by punishing those who have made up their minds to not accept his free gift of grace. The seven last plagues reveal the blend of humanity's reaction to God's actions to save them, the gradual and final hardening of their hearts because of God's actions to save them. The the seven last plagues do not show God being fed up with humanity and letting them have it, no. Humanity, the seven last plagues are God's desire to reveal to the human, to the universe and, and us later that the humans that are lost for eternity 
are lost for eternity because they had made up their minds to say no to God's grace. So I've been talking a lot. We need to see this from Scripture. Here are the plagues. When we talk about the seven last plagues, they don't come out of a vacuum. Already, we already looked at it the opening night. Um, 75% of the book of Revelation comes from what part of the Bible? The Old Testament. The plagues are pretty clear where the plagues come from, from the Exodus. And it's not just about the, the, the mites and the darkness and the boils. There, there is a higher issue taking place with the plagues, and that is how humans respond to God's actions. And because of the prejudice that many Christians have, because of the orthodox teaching of the pre-election of the saints by God, in which God picks who will be eternally saved and who will be eternally lost, and he still creates them, even though he knows they'll be eternally lost for hell, he still creates these humans. It's some very puzzling parts to that theology. They don't understand parts of the scripture and right away interpret it with those lenses. Like when Paul talks about Pharaoh. But if you go and study the, the plagues, tonight we will see that God has not predestined anyone for eternal hell. That God is inviting every human being to receive eternal life. And God would prefer so much, infinitely prefer for every human being to accept this grace and be saved. He doesn't want a single human being ever to be lost for eternity. That is, a, I think, a more compelling vision of God in which it highlights his power, not so much his sovereignty and power, but his love. Exodus 7.3, here it is, that verse, in which God says, and God tells Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And some, human, some um, good meaning Christians will see, there it is. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He didn't have a choice. But we do this at the expense of ignoring other verses, such as Exodus 8.15, in which it says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So which is it? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart, or did Pharaoh harden his own heart? The answer is yes. The answer is, let's look at how the Bible presents this interaction between God's actions in desiring to save humanity and humanity's response to God's salvific acts. Um, there are 10 plagues, and when I studied all of them, and I went through each one of them, marking which one spoke about Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening his heart, this is what stands out. In the, seven, the first six plagues, the Bible explicitly says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. This is where Revelation gets the seventh plague, because it's in the seventh plague in which the Bible mentions that Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened his heart. Excuse me, for the remaining three, the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why does the Bible say this? Well, because the Bible is, wants us to use common sense when we're looking at that 10 plagues. Obviously, Pharaoh is choosing how to respond to the plagues, and that, that response is highlighted in the first six plagues. Clearly, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But Pharaoh hardened his heart towards what? Towards God. But what was God doing? S sending plagues. It was God that was sending the boils. It was God that was sending the flies. It was God that was sending the, the abundant, abundance of frogs. It was God's actions. 
Why was God doing this to Egypt? To punish them? When you read and study a little bit about the Egyptians, everything God revealed in the plagues were deities in Egypt. And God is trying to show to the Egyptians, you are worshiping what I've made. You are worshiping what you were never meant to. You are worshiping that which degrades you. You're you're worshiping water that will never hear you or respond. You're worshiping water because you think it causes your vegetation to grow. You don't realize that I am the source of life in this planet. I am your creator, God. Through the plagues, God is trying to reveal the fallacy and folly of worshiping idols to the Egyptians with the hopes that the Egyptians will recognize the Hebrew nation, their God is the creator of that which we call gods. I will reject the the worshiping of beetles and cats and, and alligators and rivers to the worship of the creator who made these things. It was God's desire to evangelize Egypt by revealing that what they were worshiping were false and that he was the source of everything that we humans get. Even the sun, which was the main god of the Egyptians. God said, you worship the sun, lights off. There's going to be total darkness. I control creation because I am the creator. But I don't want you to see my power I want you to see my desire to save. Egypt should have gotten this message loud and clear because this is not the first time Egypt came in contact with the Creator God. The book of Exodus begins by describing this Pharaoh as a Pharaoh that had forgotten, which is an idiom for saying he ignored, he chose to reject the history of Egypt because at the end of Genesis chapter, at the end of the book of Genesis, when Joseph is in Egypt... God, the God of heaven, the creator God, the God of the Hebrews, sends that Pharaoh a dream, a prophetic dream, about a famine that would have destroyed Egypt. And then he sends a Hebrew to say, the God of heaven, the creator God, has sent you this dream because he loves you. He loves every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he doesn't want you to perish. Now you have a choice, Pharaoh. There's seven years of famine. We can gather up our, I mean, seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. You can choose to believe me or reject me. And you can use to consume and sell every um, profit that you get for the next seven years. But after that, it will be a famine like it never was on the planet. And that Pharaoh humbled himself and obeyed the prophetic word that came to him from Joseph. And Egypt survived. But this Pharaoh had a different choice, made a different choice. When God was revealing himself as to who he was, this Pharaoh hardened, 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 hardened his heart to the point where there was just no more remedy. There was no more turning back as far as his heart was concerned. Through the 10 plagues, God was revealing his true identity, not only as the creator God, which creation Egypt worshiped, but also as the God who had revealed himself to Egypt as their savior. It was because of Joseph that the Egyptian empire survived a fatal seven-year famine. They were in existence, not because of the false gods that they had always worshiped, but because of of God's mercy shown through a Hebrew slave, Joseph. The God of the Hebrew nation was the creator God, and he was revealing himself as the creator of heaven and earth, 
superior to all the gods of Egypt, but Egypt chose to harden. The leader of Egypt chose to harden himself towards the revelation of mercy that God was sending to Egypt. And those plagues, like we were looking at in the trumpets, were partial. God did not just wipe Egypt the first time Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let Israel go. There were portions of that kingdom that were being targeted so that he got to the point where even Pharaoh's assistants and co-leaders were saying, let them go, Pharaoh. You're destroying us. But Pharaoh's heart had become rock hard. And that's what the seven last plagues seek to highlight, to warn us against. You and I may hear a message and it stirs us. But if I hear a message from God, God's word, if I recognize the providence of mercy in my life, and I recognize this is God in car accident or diagnosis or whatever, and I see God removing this malady from my life or, or protecting me from my calamity, and I recognize that as God's intervention and I ignore that, I am hardening my heart towards him. And what the plagues highlight is that you will not be as easily impressed the next time. And the next time, if you, if you choose to harden yourself, it will progressively get to a point where you will harden yourself beyond the point of return, beyond the point of being able to repent. There is a direct parallel between the trumpets and the plagues, but like I said, the trumpets are partial, only one-third, 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 whereas when the plagues come, there will be, they will be a universal experience. And in symbolic language, is speaking about some of the things that we are experiencing in the world right now with some of the food shortages and all the, the things that are happening, the, the domino effects of the economies, how global we are, how something happens on this part of the globe, and it affects us on this part of the globe. But it's happening partially with that desire for humanity to see as how capable we are of taking human life, how powerful we are to destroy and, and kill each other. For us to say, man, we're not very safe in this planet and there's nowhere else to go. Where else can we turn to? God wants us to lift up our eyes like Jesus says because your, your redemption draws near. But there are millions that don't know about that redemption. That's where we as Christians need to really step it up and start realizing how much longer will I keep making excuses that I'm too busy to serve the Lord and make some time on a regular basis to make myself available to the Lord to witness, to share. Here in Cadillac, we can't do it in you know, Australia, but we can do it here and in your sphere of influence. The seven last plagues are actually identical in geography and areas. Um, the trumpet and the plagues line up in, in, in symmetrical uh, order to highlight the difference between the two. One is partial, designed to lead people to repentance. The other one is universal, revealed to, re, designed to reveal how humanity does, refuses to repent. When you have the plagues listed, you have the sores, the blood in the sea, the rivers into the blood being converted to blood, the sun scorching heat, the darkness and, and pain, the Euphrates drying up, and then the last one, hail. And progressively, you begin to see the purpose and the responses to it, but they are two responses and then a declaration from God that highlight the purpose of the plagues. God is doing these things, men blaspheme God, and they show no repentance. And the book of Revelation is explicit, and they did not repent. And they did not repent. And in the seven last plague, God says, it is done. It is done. 
The seven last plagues are not God trying to threaten us into his desire to punish us into submission. No. There is nothing worse than sin. And God is trying to save us from it. And what God is trying to warn us in is about a global phenomena that if we are alive during that time, we will see what humanity looks like unrestrained by the Holy Spirit and God's providence. What our planet will look like when the voice of the Spirit of God is no longer contending and striving against human, the human mind and God just lets go and let, let humans treat each other with the unrestraint of sin's effect on their minds and hearts. It will be a horrible time to be alive on planet Earth if you're in that condition. But the book of Revelation speaks about those that have the seal of God and their experience will be completely opposite and different. The seven last plagues are not to lead humans to heart repentance, but rather, listen to carefully, to reveal their unrepentant heart. The trumpets were God's last effort and desire to lead people to repentance. The plagues are designed to reveal that when God closes and says it is done, he's not leaving anyone out. He's not leaving anyone that had he given another chance, they may have repented. God is going to show that humans globally have reached the point that Jesus prophesied about, as in the days of Noah, in which their hearts have hardened beyond the capacity to repent. No matter how, God, how much God would plead, no matter how much time and opportunity granted, humanity will reach a point of total heart hardness, like that of Pharaoh before the second coming of Christ. Revelation 15.1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. The seven trumpets, I believe we, we've been experiencing some of these in trying to awaken us and ask us, how much longer? How much longer to put off? Why delay? Because God does not want us living in panic mode. No one can live like that. God wants us living and growing in committed mode. It's a very different experience. Committed mode focuses on steadiness. On what, my friends? Steadiness. God is not impressed with fireworks that die out. God is not desirous for us to have an experience in which we hear something or something happens and, oh, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm there, right there. I need you, I need you. Because God knows that whatever happens quickly fades quickly too, just like love. Individuals that get married because, whoa, the fire that fire goes out too. It's steady. It's the steady that sustains. And steady is commitment. A commitment to say every day, I will pause to pray. It's simple. Every day, I will expose my mind to God's character. I will seek for him in the pages of scripture. And that is if we're single. I'm married, if I have a family, I will not wait for a Israel and Palestine event to kind of jolt me. When we talked about Daniel, when he was 80 years old, there was a law that was passed that for 30 days, no one was allowed to pray to any other God except the king. 
And that law was set up specifically to trap Daniel. Daniel, the Bible says, went to his house, opened his window, and kneeled toward Jerusalem and prayed, as was his custom from the early days. That law did not affect Daniel's prayer life. Neither did it create it. Because prayer lives and Christian commitments that are born out of calamities and panic mode don't last. Once the calamity goes away, guess what happens to that, those prayer commitments? They fade out too. One of the most recent historical manifestations of this was 9-11. When I read the news, priests and pastors and ministers were um, very happy and joyous to find that after the 9-11, New Yorkans, some of the most hardened people on the planet, in Manhattan and everywhere, were, were flocking to churches, all, all denominations, to the point where churches were panicking, having to do three or four services a day to handle the crowds of people that were flocking to them after the Twin Towers fell. But the same news channels kept watching society. And an astute reporter, three months after 9-11, just three months after 9-11, would visit those same churches that have multiple services and they were back to normal with just one service and about 30 or 40 saints in a building that just weeks earlier had 300 in capacity. Today is the day to choose steady and commitment. I want steady and commitment. God wants you to be a godly father and a godly mother that does consistent and steady every day. Bringing the children, bringing husbands and wife, and if I am single, you got parents. Reach out to your parents and connect at your church family. Steady is what will sustain those that have to live through this time, just like Daniel. It was his consistent prayer life that allowed him to make the decision to be faithful to God in spite of what society was trying to do to harm him or destroy him. We're going to pause right here because we're going to pick up on this wrath of God. I just wanted to really hit home on this idea the trumpets were designed to arouse humanity to repentance right towards the end of human history. The seven last plagues will come in quick succession. They will be global. It will put our planet in an upheaval and in situations that are unimaginable to historical pens. But God is not doing that to punish humanity. God is doing that to show that in spite of the hardships, no one will turn to him. And if anyone does, it's to curse and blaspheme God's name. They are not repentant. That is the purpose of the plagues. And we, as we conclude, we will see, uh, hopefully see this more fully as we look at how the seven plagues, in the seven, seven plagues, the wrath of God is complete. We will begin to examine from Scripture what is the wrath of God. But let us pray as we take our five-minute break. Father in heaven, this is a difficult subject because we are not used to thinking of you being so transparent and so patient. You don't have to do any of this. But Father, the reason you do is so that the onlooking universe can see that you are not just forcing people. That Lord, you prefer humans to respond willingly to the uplifted um, emblem of your son Jesus. What he said, Father, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. 
And for thousands of years, Father, through the sacrificial system and now through the gospel, you have been lifting up your amazing love, your amazing grace to save humanity. But Father, onward from here, I think in human history, we'll see a less and less interest in spiritual things. A growing secularism, a growing being accustomed, why do I need God for? I'm fine without him in my life. And Father, when calamities and distresses begin to take place globally, it will be too late then to try to seek you. Our hearts will have hardened without us even realizing it. Father, Pharaoh made choices, and his choices had consequences. And you did not arbitrarily harden his heart. You revealed to him the hollowness of his worship, the falsity of his idols, but he responded to your actions by hardening his heart. You were trying to save a man that resisted your acts of salvation, and he made himself lost. He destroyed himself. Father, that is sobering, that if anyone is lost, it is of their own doing. It is not you choosing some to perdition and choosing some for salvation. Father, tonight we pray for our hearts. Father, we have seen what our hearts can be and do. And Father, if we have been neglectful, if we have been resistant, if we have been indifferent, precious Father, God of infinite mercy, we pray for your Holy Spirit to shatter this stony heart, to make us soft, to make us gentle, to make us humble, to make us willing to yield to the convicting voice of your Spirit. Above all, Lord, for consistency. In our own time with you, in our own development of our relationship with you, in the prayer time and in the time studying your word. Father, help us to reject the lie that we don't have time for you. We do. It's choices that are made that are strengthened. And tonight, Father, though we may not have understood everything that these messages entail, we understand this. My heart tonight, in what trajectory is it going? Is it becoming softer and more pliable and more obedient to you? Or Father, am I allowing my heart and choosing my heart to become harder, stiffer, and more resistant? Father, slow us down. Father, give us an opportunity to confess and to receive a different heart. We want that, Lord. We want our families saved. We want ourselves to experience salvation. And we want to, Father, receive the salvation you so desirous want to give to each of us. As we take this short break, Father, prepare our hearts and minds as we conclude this subject. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord.